Hello, everybody, and welcome to True Crime Banter, the podcast aimed to bring in you your dose of murder relaxation. So just sit back and enjoy. Hi. Welcome to another episode of the True Crime Banter Podcast, where I am your host. And she's your host. <laughs> I feel like that's something like maybe in the past I would have said at some point. Uh, where yeah. I am your host, Riley, and uh-huh. this is my hostess. Mm-hmm. Host, Not hostie, your hostess. The hostie. I'm your co-host. The co-host. Or you're my co-host. Who does the How most? Ooh. Male inferiority? Is that what? That sure. Would be, I don't know. Sure. Hello, everyone. <laughs> you this said it. Was not a me. weird start. Um, <laughs> welcome, welcome back to another episode uh, of the True Crime Major Podcast. Hi. Today, we'll both be bringing the crew. What do, I don't. Everybody, a story. <laughs> Can you tell that I'm on one right now? <laughs> I am just on a roll. Riley's been sick for a while and mentally ill for even longer. So that's probably what's Before happening you, right now. You met me, actually. Yeah, I think that went without but, saying. You know, yeah. things. So here we are. And occur. Anyways, yeah. uh, today we don't have any banter. Uh, we did see a movie this past weekend, I was weekend, just going to bring that up. That's so weird. And yeah. what were you going to bring up about it? Um, just that we saw it. Oh. Yeah. Well, there you guys go. We, we saw a movie. We don't want to say too much about it, obviously. No. No. We we did see Scream 6, though. I'm a big, <laughs> I'm a big, big fan of that franchise. Yeah. And I liked it. I didn't start watching them until I met you. And then we watched them completely out of... Wait, no, that wasn't... Or was it? We watched the first one out of order. I think we watched But Final Scream Destination we watched in order or no? No, no. Okay, so that both one was of them. definitely out of order. I kind of like not watching them in order, though. I don't know. Yeah. I don't okay. have an OCD about that stuff. I well, like as someone who, who like grew up on those movies, yeah, I really liked it. And I, I feel think... like I should have grown up on them, but I didn't. I don't no, know why. Cause... I was watching other stuff like The Poltergeist. Or Spaghetti Westerns. When I was like five. Yeah, yeah. Or Westerns and stuff. Um... But you had an older sibling, and I am the oldest. And so, if it wasn't some older influence, then I, I, I would then say I wasn't it was actually just it. my dad. Oh, <laughs> maybe we talked about. I feel like oh, we I talked about this that. on like a, a maybe the last time we maybe saw the last movie. Um, yeah, my dad. I mean, we watched Nightmare on Elm Street, Scream. Didn't watch like any all of those. the Wes Craven horror movies. I don't know if my dad just thought they were cheesy and didn't want to waste my time. As a toddler, he was like, okay. let's just go straight right. to Poltergeist. <laughs> he was like, no, let's do something a little more real. I don't know. And they're here. But, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, if you guys haven't seen that, yeah. um, we've been doing a lot of movie talk lately on the, yeah. on the podcast. And uh, that's a one we saw, obviously, recently. It just came out. And yeah, I really enjoyed weekend. it. So if you guys like yeah. that movie, I think it does if a good you, job of being its own movie. Yeah. If you don't have high expectations or any at all, then get to it. Yeah. Just if you approach it as a screen yeah. movie, it doesn't disappoint and especially now after jenna ortega has like gotten Blown so up. big i mean she was already in the last one yeah last two the last one just the last one yeah well then i guess you're five re- and six then you're really gonna fucking love it so she's yeah. in it too so. yeah and i think the entire cast is a All good you uh, bandwagon peeps will love it exactly you bandwagon <laughs> <laughs> anyways um yeah. yeah like i said no bander but we did see a movie mm-hmm. it's pretty cool 
<laughs> so All right. There you go. How about we go ahead and get into the mm-hmm. case? Uh, this is going to be the case of. I guess it would be Jordan Graham, but also Cody Johnson. And Cody Johnson. Yeah. yeah. So here yeah. we go. It's 2011 when Jordan Graham and Cody Johnson met at a party and hit it off. They quickly became an item and people noticed they were an obvious example of opposites attract couple. Cody was 24 and extremely outgoing, known to be the one who made others laugh, but also having a very kind side, regularly checking in on people he cared about. Then there was 21-year-old Jordan, who was very shy and often never spoke, or when she did, it was short one-word answers. She was extremely introverted, only having a couple close friends and mainly spending her time at church. Cody's mom thought Jordan was a good influence on Cody, even getting him to attend church services when he showed no interest in it prior. Originally from California, Cody had moved with his mom to Kalispell, Montana, a little while back. And as someone who loved the outdoors, he was in heaven. Every day, he was surrounded by mountains and rivers and trails and was often seen heading off to explore near areas. Besides hiking and a lifelong passion for cars, he had been feeling like something was missing in his life. But when he met Jordan, he felt like he had found the person he wanted to settle down with. He quietly started saving, and in December 2012, he proposed. Jordan was excited and posted on Instagram to share the good news and the two of them decided on June 29th, the following year, as their wedding date. While Jordan and Cody seemed excited to make this big leap, friends of Cody expressed concerns about the wedding, both privately and to Cody himself. Cameron Fredrickson was a childhood friend of Cody's, and they had bonded over a shared love of cars throughout the years. When the pair announced the engagement, Cameron spoke up, telling Cody not to go through with it. He expressed concerns about Jordan, noticing over the last year or so that Cody was always the one putting in effort and was so obviously in love with Jordan, but she never seemed to show the same feelings back. Even Jordan's own friends noticed this one-sided behavior. Some of Cody's friends even took bets on how long they would last before getting divorced. At one point, Cody even stormed out of a restaurant after someone asked him why he wanted to marry Jordan in the first place. One of Jordan's friends said she really only got excited about planning the wedding, not the actual part about getting married. But Cody was confident in his decision, and on June 29th at Woodland Park, the two were wed. Jordan was seen crying uncontrollably walking down the aisle, while Cody beamed waiting for her at the end. A few people noticed that once up front, Jordan never looked at Cody. She was either looking at the ground or at the officiant. Wedding footage from that day captures a stoic Jordan holding hands with Cody while he stares at her as she looks away almost the entire time. One of her friends got nervous, saying she thought something was going to happen based off of Jordan's behavior. During the reception, friends and family gave toasts, and the couple had their first dance to a song that Jordan actually wrote and made herself, the lyrics of which will be haunting later. After the reception died down and the festivities ended, 
the couple headed to Big Fork as a mini honeymoon. It was supposed to be a romantic, fun getaway, but at some point, it took a strange turn. Kimberly Martinez, Jordan's friend and maid of honor, got a surprising text the very next evening. At 10.31 p.m., Jordan sent, Totally just had a meltdown. I'm completely second-guessing everything. I don't know if all of this was the right thing to do. So much happened last night, I just don't know. Kimberly replied, About what? Are you okay? Jordan sent back, I cannot freaking pull myself together. I haven't stopped crying since I was married. I wish someone would have stood up and asked me what I wanted. But I can't go back and change anything. I should be happy, and I'm just not. I don't feel like myself. Trying to be a good friend, Kimberly let her vent, but suggested she talk to Cody about how she's feeling. Jordan said she didn't want to. She said he seemed really happy, and she didn't want to hurt him. The end of their time off came quickly, and on Sunday, they headed back to Kalispell, where they would begin their life as a married couple in their new home together. Once back, the couple did all the normal things that they usually did. They attended the morning service at church, and afterwards, Jordan's dad asked Cody if he wanted to go kayaking, but Cody politely declined, telling him that Jordan had a surprise for him, so they would have to find another time to go kayaking. While Cody was excited and waiting for his surprise all day, behind the scenes, Jordan was texting Kimberly again. Just like before, she expressed concerns about the marriage, but this time she told Kimberly she was going to bring it up, and she planned to that evening. Kimberly wished her luck and told her to reach out if she needed anything. Jordan said she would update her about how it went, but her next text was a little odd, saying, Dead serious. If you don't hear from me, something happened. Jordan and Cody attended a second church service that evening, and afterwards they met up with some friends at Dairy Queen. They wrapped things up after dinner and headed off, hopefully going home to talk. It's now early Monday morning, and with the couple's vacation time up, it was back to work. Jordan's job was private childcare, and Cody worked at a company called Nomad, a car restoration and body shop. The shop opens early as usual, and Cody's boss, who was also his close friend Cameron, the same guy who expressed concerns about the wedding, noticed he wasn't there yet, which was very unusual. Cody was always early or on time. He was actually known to have a very intense work ethic as well. He texted Cody to see where he was, but as the hours ticked by and the texts and calls went unanswered, Cameron grew alarmed. While he didn't raise the alarm quite yet, he did the following morning when once again, Cody didn't show or respond to any messages. He drove to Cody's house, and when nobody answered, he went around back to find the slider unlocked, so he let himself in worried that Cody might be injured or something wrong. Looking around, he noticed that everything was nice and in its place. It didn't appear that there was any struggle or anything stolen, but when he called out for Cody with no response, he checked the garage to see if his car was even there. While his car was gone, his cell phone was on the table nearby, and this is when Cameron got alarmed and headed to the police station to file a missing persons report. As police began looking for Cody, they were able to get a hold of Jordan, and she came down to the station, 
where she was asked where Cody might be. She said she had no idea, but the last time that she saw him was Sunday evening. She tells them they had gone to the evening service at church and afterwards met up with friends at Dairy Queen. As they were driving home, though, Cody had gotten a call from someone she didn't know when he was on the phone for about 30 minutes when she noticed that he was pretty agitated the whole time. They arrived home and she realized that she has forgotten her phone charger and her phone was going to die. So she headed off in her own car to go get it. As she was driving, Cody texted her saying that he was going to take a drive with someone. But she returned home pretty fast and saw him getting into a dark colored car that had Washington plates. Cops asked if this was normal for him to do. And she said yes, he was very social and he made all types of friends in the car industry. So it didn't concern her when he left with a stranger. She said he didn't come home that night though, and they asked why she didn't report him missing. She said that she didn't want to upset him or make him mad in case he came home and she had overreacted. Going off of Jordan's story, police tried to gain access to his social media accounts in case he had been messaging anyone about where he was headed or posted anything about where his whereabouts were. While his accounts didn't give them anything useful, his call logs did. Spotted was a phone number with a Washington State area code, which stuck out since he was last seen getting into a car with Washington plates. Following this, they gave the number a call, and a man named Jose answered the phone. When speaking with him, Jose told investigators that the conversation with Cody was pretty routine that day. Jose had borrowed some tools from Cody and was just calling to check a good time to return them. Police followed up on his alibi for that day, and with that, they were back to square one. While police were working behind the scenes, friends and family of Cody and Jordan gathered in groups to help search for him. It had been days, and nothing helpful had come to light. During this time, Jordan was in and out of the police station being called back for several interviews and questions that they had. Oddly, Jordan's story had been changing little by little each time she told it, and police needed to figure out why. She didn't know it yet, but at this point, she was the only person on their suspect list. In her first round of questioning, Jordan told police, He got a call that made him agitated, but I don't know who it was. Then I got a text later saying he was headed out with someone I didn't know. But on the next round, it changes to... He said he was going out with some out-of-town buddies. He always said that when they came to town, he would take them to Glacier Park. It went from, I don't know who was on the phone, to identifying them as out-of-town buddies. And I don't know where he went to they probably went to Glacier Park. With significant changes to the stories in such a short amount of time, she had put herself in the spotlight. During this time, Jordan was never seen crying or getting emotional about Cody being missing at all. The obvious lack of emotion and concern, combined with the changing stories, gave police enough reason, I guess, more than enough reason to doubt Jordan, and they let her know it. Jordan was now fully aware that they didn't believe her. Unfortunately, they didn't have anything solid 
so they had to let her go. Even if Jordan was sketchy as hell, at that time, finding Cody was their true priority. They could deal with her after. The next day, police are surprised to find Jordan accompanied by her mother back at the station. She had come down on her own this time, telling them that she had a massive update. The previous evening, after her visit to the station, she had gone home and received an email from a mysterious man she had never met before. Someone who called themselves Carman Tony. One hell of a nickname. The email read, My name is Tony. There is no bother in looking for Cody anymore. He is gone. I saw your post on Twitter and I thought I would email you. He had come with some buddies and met up with me on Sunday night in Columbia Falls. He was saying he needed to be with his buddies for a bit and take them for a joyride. Three of the guys came back saying they had gone for a ride in the woods somewhere and Cody got out of the car and went for a little hike and they are positive he fell and he is dead, Jordan. I don't know who the guys were, but they took off. So call off the missing persons report. Cody is gone for sure. Tony. Detective Clark took her phone and read the email again. Looking at Jordan afterwards, he said, Seems kind of sketchy. Friends and family of Cody were baffled. Who the heck was this guy, and how did he even know about all of this? If this was true, could Cody be out there somewhere, perhaps? Injured and just waiting to be rescued? Glacier National Park is humongous, and it could take weeks upon weeks to search everywhere, and that's just talking about the area that a human could safely get to. When asked, the only person named Tony that Jordan knew was someone who worked with Cody. Lucky for police, he was easy to find and told police he hadn't spoken to Cody in a very long time and when shown the email, said he had never had an email by that name at all. He was just as confused as everyone else. Police had to be sure, though, and Tony gladly handed over his devices to be searched. Nothing was found, Tony was cleared, and police were back to the beginning once again. Hoping for more digital clues, police had asked Jordan to hand over hers and Cody's phones so that they could be searched. Jordan agreed, but explained that they wouldn't find any text between her and Cody. Apparently, they erase their texts every night because the kids that she babysits like to mess with their phone. How convenient. <laughs> yeah. Police didn't mind. They were itching to find anything they could. They were like, we don't even care. Just give me your phone. While that was happening, family and friends decided to search Glacier National Park on the off chance that Cody was there. Even if that email was weird, they were desperate. They searched all day until the sun began to set, agreeing to meet back the following day. Jordan joined the group the next day at sunrise, beginning with hanging missing persons flyers. One of her friends kept wanting to search different trails, but Jordan refused. Out of nowhere, she said she wanted to search Loop Trail. When asked why, she said, I just have a feeling. How convenient. Driving up with her friend Cecilia and her younger brother Michael, they arrive at the treacherous Loop Trail. 
They parked and Jordan began climbing over the guardrail located at the cliff's edge for people's safety, trying to get a good look down below. Suddenly, Jordan yells that she sees something and she thinks it's Cody. In disbelief, her younger brother Michael went to go look, and there, almost 300 feet below, was Cody's body laying face down in the water. Her brother collapsed and began crying hysterically. Jordan calmly walked back to the car, and as they all three made their way down the mountain to get help, an oddly relaxed Jordan blurted out, Now that we've found him, we can call the detective and get him out of my business. With no cell service, they drove to a nearby general store and called the park ranger to let them know that a body had been found. Later, the store manager said Jordan was weirdly calm during the whole thing. Meeting the park ranger back at the park, he had her fill out a statement, and when he asked her, how did you know exactly where to find his body? She said, it was a place Cody wanted to see before he died. Even adding, the Holy Spirit was leading me there. By the time all the proper authorities were called, it was getting dark and it was way too dangerous for any type of rescue, so they all agreed to meet back at sunrise to get Cody. Once light enough, the FBI, local investigators, and park rangers made their way down to take a look at the scene. Cody had fallen almost 300 feet, getting extremely injured on the way down. The coroner said later, his injuries mimicked those of someone in a fatal car accident. Not too far from Cody's body, they noticed a piece of black cloth, tied and resembling what could possibly be a blindfold. Hmm. Not quite sure what to make of it, they bagged it as evidence. Once evidence was collected and photos taken, Cody's body was airlifted out of the treacherous area, and a few days later, a huge memorial service was held for him. While everyone handles death differently, people couldn't help but notice that Jordan spelt almost the entire service on her cell phone. Her friend Kimberly saw this and something in her gut just couldn't ignore it. At the beginning, it seemed like Jordan was suffering from wedding blues. But now there were too many things that couldn't be ignored. When Cody was missing, she never once showed any concern or worry. Then, out of nowhere, you magically find him in the woods somewhere random. And then you also spend his whole funeral service on your phone. Kimberly gathered her things and made her way to the police station. She had some things to share with detectives. Finally, police were hearing from someone who personally knew Jordan and could shed light on her behind the scenes. Kimberly shared all the texts Jordan had been sending her about not wanting to be married and how she made a huge mistake. She said after the proposal, the wedding planning soon began and multiple times Jordan would ask her and others if she was making a huge mistake. Everyone probably thought it was just some pre-wedding jitters, but as the months went on, Jordan expressed excitement only during the planning process, but not actually about marrying Cody. The day after the wedding, Jordan even texted Kimberly, I'm using the whole my period started spiel tonight. Hope it works. If I'm forced to do something, I'm going to freak out. Kimberly shared that on Sunday, when Cody was last seen, she had gotten a text from Jordan saying that she was going to talk to Cody that evening. But at 1.30 a.m., Jordan showed up on her doorstep and said that they had gotten into a huge fight. She said Jordan wasn't upset or sad, though, but instead very nervous 
and eventually left, heading to her brother's where she told him a similar story, but added that he had taken off with friends. While Kimberly was giving statements, phone records had come back, and boy oh boy, did they have a story to tell. Remember Jordan's ever-changing stories? One thing she was consistent about was that she was not with Cody that evening after their talk, and either her or Cody had left the other one. But police found that both cell phones were with each other the entire evening. Pulling camera footage from the park entrance, police found Jordan and Cody both arriving together. Not Cody in a car with a bunch of people, and not Cody in a car with a man who could just possibly be the mysterious Carman Tony. Just Cody and Jordan. Speaking of Carman Tony, the IP address for that weird-ass email from him had been traced to Jordan's stepdad's house, where it had been created two days after Cody went missing. Weird, right? Finally, police had enough on Jordan, but they still wanted to talk to her. She came once more and willingly signed away her rights and started speaking. When confronted with the evidence, she changed her story yet again. And this is her now truthful story. That evening after Dairy Queen, her and Cody made their way to Glacier National Park, a place they both loved. She thought this would be a good place to have a talk and express her concerns about the marriage. She said Cody was upset and suggested they get an annulment, but Jordan was worried how it would look getting divorced eight days after their wedding. She didn't want to ruin her reputation. As they hiked, they ended up at Loop Trail, but Jordan said she didn't want to go any further because... That area was very steep and it worried her, especially with it turning dark outside at this point. Cody then replied with something like, I'm not going to fall. I could walk this trail with a blindfold on. Getting close to the edge, Cody had grabbed Jordan aggressively during their conversation and Jordan said this is when she decided to finally defend herself. So she pulled her arm away and then pushed him backwards, resulting in him falling over the side. The police officer then asked what she did after Cody fell, and simply put, she said, I drove home. Police weren't buying this, though, but it seemed like Jordan truly believed people would take her word as truth, no matter how ridiculous it all sounded. Everyone who knew Cody knew this was absolute bullshit. Cody had an intense fear of heights. One of his friends even had a story about how he couldn't climb a ladder to change a light bulb for his mom. There was no way he would go to a trail and then proceed to hop over a safety railing and just chill next to a 300-foot drop-off. With Jordan's final story resembling something like self-defense, She was arrested and charged with second-degree murder. The judge deemed her not a threat, and she was allowed to stay at home until her trial began. But she did have to wear an ankle monitor. Her trial began a few months later, 
and the jury voted that this was premeditated, and her charges were upped to premeditated first-degree murder, having enough proof that this was a planned attack. During testimonies, friends all basically said the same things. From the start, Cody was the one showing interest and not wanting to spend time with Jordan. But she also made excuses to not hang out, even inviting friends along on what was supposed to be dates for just her and Cody. It seemed like everyone saw Jordan's lack of emotion before the wedding, after the wedding, and even when Cody was missing. One friend even mentioned seeing Jordan skipping around eating ice cream after hearing that Cody had disappeared. Friends of the couple said that they weren't shocked by the ruling at all. From the beginning, this marriage seemed destined to fail. While they thought that the couple might divorce, they never suspected that Jordan would resort to murder. Only a few days into her trial, and not even a whole six months after the wedding, the courtroom was shocked when Jordan changed her plea to guilty, accepting a last-minute deal the prosecution had offered her. Instead of chancing life in prison for first-degree murder, she pled guilty to second-degree and got 30 years with no chance of parole. This was as good as it was going to get for her. After the ruling, Cody's mom burst into tears. It all finally came to an end, but she was still left with no Cody. She was one of 30 witnesses who took the stand, crying as she said, On his wedding day, Cody said it was the best day of his life, and he was excited to start a family. Now he can't. I always wanted to be a grandma. Cody was her only child, and now she has nothing. Jordan's parents hurried to their car outside the courthouse, avoiding any interaction with the press. I'm sure embarrassed and ashamed as they possibly could be. Not too long after being sent to prison, Jordan regretted her plea change, but when she tried to withdraw it, she was denied. She spends her remaining years at a brand new, top-notch, low-security women's prison in Alabama. The world will see this piece of shit again when she's released in 2040. Okay, well, that's the case of Cody Johnson. And but Jordan also, Graham, yeah, I guess. But also yeah. the case of Jordan Graham, who obviously ended the story of Cody Johnson. Sadly, yeah. Yeah. So before we forget, we mentioned a song during their wedding. Yes. And you wanted me to remind you to bring it up because that, yeah. first off, it was a song that, I, I don't was it their first dance? So Jordan had written this song and flown all the way to California to record this song with a, a gal who, who was does like this an actual yeah, yeah 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 so they yeah. work she basically paid someone to work with them and record yeah a personalized wedding song which creative which, kudos no it's actually really cool you know? and I think Jordan was in the choir at church too so it makes sense and when I heard the song. There are snippets of the wedding video of them dancing. And yeah. I'm like, oh, she's actually a really good singer. Um, but yeah, the words were interesting. Yeah, the lyrics. And I think this just is, people can read into this however they want, but I think it's just a weird coincidence. Yeah. Where it says, um, 
there's certain things. I'm not going to say the whole song was like so cryptic, but there's definitely a theme um, saying things like, you helped me climb higher for a better view. You're my safe place to fall. Never let me go. Yeah. Yeah. Like things you said. Things along that nature of falling and climbing yep. is what really hooks people on this part of it. So I think one of the interesting things about this case, and I think, you know, I keep saying I think, but uh, the family members and friends keep wondering or asking why, like why this happened. You you could see how it happened if the uh, situation presented itself and maybe she was in self-defense. But you, there's still the question, like why why were you out there? Was it really... Uh, a place that Cody would want to go to to have like an important talk. Yeah. Like and Especially and also nighttime. pushing someone like you you got to think if you're going to push someone on a cliff at night there's a chance that they might fall off. There was also um when she was being interviewed there's a couple different times that she's told this like quote unquote final story. Um and she has said that she has pushed him when he was turning away from her. Right. So at some point, I guess, if you can imagine someone on the edge of a cliff grabbing someone, then letting go, turning around to, I don't know, admire the view, and then then And then that's pushed. when you push them? I, so yeah. that's kind of where the whole, like, you had time to stop, which is where people make arguments for... Take away the fact that they were on a cliff and there was emotions involved. There's the whole people make these same arguments for all types of other murder cases where you can knock a gun out of someone's hand or a knife out of someone's hand. But then minutes go by and then you then take the same weapon and then assault somebody when like you had a chance to get away or you know what I mean? Okay. Where there's a chance to make a different decision, but you choose to go with a violent one. And then that's where people make the argument. That's where juries come in and judges were like, no, you had, yeah, you had you, a it's chance. It's hard to determine. Yeah. You know. Where- if what she's saying is that Jordan grabbed her, then let go, then you waited till he turned around, then pushed him, that could have been right. an opportunity to climb back over and go to safety, walk away, but you chose to then push him off of a cliff. Yeah. And I, I think along those lines, I do yeah. know that one of the things that the prosecutors or I'm sorry, the defendants were uh, trying to push that it was one fluid motion where they're basically trying to keep it as self-defense of course, to yeah. avoid that idea of like yeah. there was time for her to think right. about what she was about to do. That's And they're so desperate. But, they have nothing yeah, to go off of. Exactly. I just, I don't, I just don't see the the self-defense. Something. If he let go and then you decide to push yeah. him off. Like, Something that really got me during this whole thing that I kind of like edited and put in and took out again a couple times was, and then I decided to finally like not put it in this was just because it's my own opinion. I thought it was really odd that she would, first of all, think that everyone would believe her. But then I also am like, oh, she's 21. Of course she thought that. Not, you know, not, yeah. sorry, all you young people listening if you are, but yeah. you guys are fucking stupid yeah. <laughs> i'm sorry but idiots yeah you guys just really it's not you know it's not supposed to be offensive we mm. were all fucking stupid at that age just the reality of yeah it. like you really truly think that you know everything mm-hmm. that 
you are so even us smart. right now you know yeah. it's like uh, do how much do we really know but obviously we've had more yeah. experience in like you're about year old. to be 32 i'm about to be 31 like even we're like yeah we're so smart and then it's <laughs> like no wait way. a minute yeah. <laughs> we're real yeah. dumb and as it kept going i was like wow she keeps coming up with details and reasons why she pushed him and then it was heated and they were arguing about um, getting divorced and I also too she had brought up at some point that he was abusive but everyone's like yeah no fucking way this yeah. kid was like the nicest fucking person but she had all this reasoning during the actual process of the argument but then when asked what she did after she I always just, just said that she just drove home so you're gonna take it so far to explain to away everything, but then why. you're not going to come up with anything for the after. Yeah. Yeah. Something is so off there. I mean, obviously in general, mm -hmm. but the fact that you defend 70% of it and then this last little crucial 30, you just think you can just say, I just went home. Yeah. And they're just going to be like, oh yeah, cool. Totally. Like everyone else totally would have done the same thing. And then you decided to write yourself a fake email too, yeah. just randomly. Yeah. Like it. Yeah, this is one of the situations, and I, I've tried to look at this like, well, what if it really was an accident? And it's really hard to come up with right with a you and I are both people that will look at things from both sides. This, this yeah. isn't like a going straight after somebody because other people are no, and we because really, it looks obvious, right? That, we really balance yeah. it, yeah, especially in a case like this where there isn't a ton of evidence. It's just. It's all what hearsay. She said. Yeah. Yeah. And yep. there's only one side to be told. Yeah. Which is and where so, the convenience part of it comes in. Yeah. yeah. And there is, uh, I just don't see, I, I can't put together a way or a reason or yeah. a happenstance of how this occurred. This is not the first um, cliff pushing incident that's been done before. Right. And it's probably a reason why it's been done multiple times. Because there is one person left at yeah, the end yeah, there's... to tell the story. And if there is no evidence beforehand, then they almost kind of just get a free pass a little bit. Unless you can really tie all the evidence together, which is exactly what happened in this case. It's all circumstantial. And then it's all witnesses, too. Yeah. Everyone's saying he was afraid of heights. He was in love with Jordan. He was like... It's all these 30 witnesses, plus the fact that he would have never fucking gone up there in the dark. And then you find a blindfold nearby conveniently. Right. And a that potential is where blindfold, a potential blindfold. Thank goodness. That was never confirmed. True. Just saying. True. Yeah. 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 It was just an item found nearby. But body. if you look up the fucking picture, it looks, it looks like, like a, a motherfucking blindfold. It's one of the situations that, shoot, when we first started talking about, or I guess started this podcast, it was, thank God criminals are stupid right. because very easily you can get away with this because the circumstances play into oh it was an accident or something yeah. unfortunate happened thank god she's pretty dumb and yeah. couldn't figure out anything else other than self-defense as you, like a, you would think too of this idea kind of started forming that she's like, okay, I'm going to make it look like an accident. We're going to like try to rekindle things. You would start to form that picture right. of like things are on the up and up. We love each other. I changed my mind. So she's going to be 
giving out all these signs like mm-hmm. we're actually so great like i love him i totally didn't actually mean what i said to you when i said i was doubting it but yeah you know. and, and that again is where i just go back to i wonder obviously like you just said cody's friends and family say that cody would never be out there going over a protective barrier on a cliff to then go to a spot that's even more dangerous to hang out at. I think 99% of people wouldn't even have done that. Yeah. And that's where I wonder, you know, was he drugged or something? Like, how did she convince him to go out there to then push him off? That's true. I know I've thought about that too. I I personally... The reason to be out there. I just don't get that I personally thought it was sexual. I'm not trying to, like, be weird or anything, but... During all of these interviews and videos and articles I'm reading, it was said that because Jordan was very religious, she didn't believe in sex before marriage. And she was had expressed concerns and worries about being nervous about the wedding night. Well, you right. And you had kind of alluded to um, I mean, she related with her text to her friend about using the started my period spiel because she did not want to didn't want to yeah yeah and like you said and that's totally fine but it's not having the conversation with your now husband or you are not sexually attracted to him and you got married for all the wrong reasons so there's all of that i feel like or at least didn't take that into account as that being what could be an important reason also 21 so like i you don't know how to handle big discussions like that all the time at that age um but then take all of that separately and then now there's almost some kind of motive for him to come up here. Yeah, so you so, could easily be like, hey, I want to surprise you with something. They could have driven somewhere. He could have not known where they were on the mountain area. She, she could have said like, hey, let me blindfold you. Just step over this little thing real quick. And then we'll be like on this little like grass mm-hmm. path. He could have not known he was even near a cliff. No, exactly. And been exactly. like, oh, I'm going to get some kind of surprise or Which something. Which reminds me, because I was, I was going to say, and then you find the blindfold down at the bottom of the cliff. With meaning him. that he never took the blindfold off. Right. Or he pulled it down right. instead of upwards yeah. off of his head. So it was still on his body. And detectives and park rangers said that the area that he was found was not a place that humans can access. And so that blindfold had to have gone down with him or with someone else and there was no one else found on there and and his shoe was also found at some point on a ledge on the way down so we know for a fact that he actually like fell and like scraped himself along the side of the wall yeah and uh coroner said that he died from the trauma of the fall there wasn't something they even said he wasn't dead before he even said that his heart had exploded but one thing they didn't find on his body was his wedding ring yes which is interesting because you would think somebody who is clearly in love and trying to make this marriage work or if they who knows what's going on why don't you have a wedding ring on you that could have also been a simple thing as um i mean there's so many small things that that could have been he could have forgotten at home that day like true yeah you know no i mean yeah there's a lot of ways to yeah um I guess. They could have gone yeah. want to get it cleaned. I mean, that could have been a small detail of just left True. out, but yeah, like there's it. This is one of those so fucking. It's so fucking obvious. Kind of like our last one, Jessica Johnson. It's so fucking obvious that it's almost but feels. Thank God, a in this waste one, they got of it right. my time. Yeah, sitting here talking about it because it's so ridiculous. Yeah. But you're right. In this case, it was technically solved. 
Yeah. Jessica Johnson, our last one, it's not. Still open. But is kind of open. Shouldn't like, be open. Also obvious, it's, but It's whatever. kind of closed as a cold case almost. Yeah. Still open, but should be closed as not a cold case. Yeah. Um, yeah. Go listen to that if you haven't. But yeah, this is one that I, as much as I try to rack my brain and figure out, well, what actually could have happened? No. I just don't see a reasonable yeah. way that sh- it wasn't. Right. Um, at minimum, second degree. If professional so, lawyers and shit can't figure it out, then we definitely won't be able to. So. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. people, to end this episode, just don't get married ever. At all. <laughs> As we're engaged. Anyways, to uh, this August, you are all invited. No. <laughs> um, no it, please, especially if you want to start a family and stuff, like be willing to like communicate with or each other. Or just don't. I, if there's any doubts, just fucking don't and just talk it true. out and yeah, just yeah. like postpone. But like, that's the thing. Yeah. Just communicate it to the person you want to be with. Yeah. If you're not have, if you're like I said, if you have doubts, not sure. I think, I think most people would do that. This was just a case of a young, inexperienced, naive girl freaking out. Trying to just not get out wanna, of the exactly. life she got stuck This into. was the only option in her mind somehow. Which... Not a good know. option. Yeah, just go see a fucking Get counselor. divorced. I don't even care. Just get yeah. divorced, too. Like, there's no kids. Yeah. There's nothing, you know. Or, you know, we're not sponsored yet, but BetterHelp, you know? Like, BetterHelp Online. Sure, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Are we going to be sponsored? Shout I don't out. know. <laughs> Anyways. All right, you guys. Well, uh, that is another episode. If you guys want to sponsor us, feel free. Yeah, feel um, free. There might be an ad at the beginning of the next episode, though, so. Yeah, we're kind of we'll tinkering, see. tinkering with something. Yeah. yeah. We're tinkling on something. Yeah, so, too. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, thank you, Christian, for doing all the research again yeah, on this yeah, one. Yeah. Whatever. And one of these days, I will write an episode <laughs> one for One of these us. days, you'll get your one shit together. One of these days. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else you wanted to add before we uh, um, adios these mofos? No, 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 no. I don't think so, no. Can't okay. think of anything. Everybody. I hope you guys enjoyed it. This has been another episode of the True Crime Banter Podcast. And we'll talk to you in the next one. Bye. Adios. Bye.